You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. A ruptured vascular plaque with subsequent thrombus, the cause of the sudden heart attack that occurs without warning. How can we approach this devastating condition? With me today is Dr. Emil Moeller III, Director of Vascular Medicine and Director of the Vascular Diagnostic Center at Penn Presbyterian Medical Center in Philadelphia. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Moeller. Hello. Pleasure to be with you. Well, plaque rupture, we've come to understand, uh, seems to be the cause of many, if not the majority, of heart attacks. Tell us a little bit about plaques and the difference between stable and unstable plaques. Well, one of the things that you, of course, know, Lee, that we've learned is that a patient's first presentation is not always chest pain, but actually frequently a heart attack itself. So there has been a lot of research done to try to identify those individuals who are at risk for developing heart attack before it occurs. Because patients, of course, don't always read the textbook and have the classic symptoms. And Mm -hmm. the first thing that can happen is, as you point out, a plaque rupture. So there are several different types uh, or ways that a clot can form in the artery. And that is, for example, the classic way where you have rupture of the plaque itself. The overlying coating, if you will, of tissue ruptures and exposes tissue factor and other procoagulant proteins that then can result in uh, platelet activation and aggregation and ultimately a thrombus formation that can include the vessel. We do know that there are other ways that a thrombus can form, and that's, for example, with plaques that just ulcerate, for example, an ulceration like you would have in the stomach, for example, mm-hmm. where the, it's just the overlying tissue is not so much ruptured, but the endothelium is no longer present, and uh, you have a pro-thrombotic situation on the surface of that plaque. The next potential way that actually plaques can become unstable is in rare circumstances. It is reported, although I think the research is relatively weak about it, and that's a calcified nodule can appear on the surface of the plaque, which can act kind of like a lightning rod for Hmm. thrombus formation. Is that something that is felt to occur commonly, or this is a more unusual cause for thrombus? I think that's a much more unusual cause. And then the fourth way that you can actually have a, a problem with instability of the plaque is actually rupturing or hemorrhaging into the plaque. In other words, rather than exposing outside, you can actually bleed into the plaque because of the friable tissue, and a lot of plaques have angiogenesis and small capillaries that form in the plaque itself, and they can rupture, and you can have expansion of the plaque itself, an unstable variety, if you will, by bleeding into the plaque. You may or may not get a thrombus in that situation, but you could certainly advance the plaque to the point that it's hemodynamically significant in causing ischemia. Has there been research in terms of risk factors for the formation of thrombus or increasing plaque by one of these four mechanisms? Is it genetic? Is it blood pressure-related, smoking? Well, unfortunately, all of the above. Uh So what happens, of course, is the genetics and environment all play a significant role in development of plaque and also in the formation of a thrombus and heart attack. There are actually now genes that have been described, a so-called heart attack gene that is involved in predisposition, increased predisposition to develop a heart attack. 9P21 is what it's called. Hmm. The function, unfortunately, is completely unknown, but uh, it is associated with heart attack. We do know that the plaques are that are eccentric, in other words, the ones that are off the plaque models outward and off to the side rather than circumferential are the most dangerous plaques and most prone to rupture. Do know also that 
plaques that have a heavy amount of inflammatory cells, macrophages, T-cells, for example, those are plaques where that ulceration or hemorrhage is more likely to occur and rupture, especially with thinning of the cap on the plaque. So genetic components, some morphologic characteristics of the plaque, and then inflammatory predispositions. Which in those inflammatory predispositions, of course, can be fueled by the classic risk factors like smoking, hypertension, diabetes, and hypercholesterolemia. From a clinical standpoint, are there ways that we in the office can pick up who might be more likely to have an unstable plaque versus a stable plaque? Well, we'd like to be able to pick out the patient that's at risk, and that's been the focus of looking at the high-risk patients. So, of course, those patients who have risk factors like diabetes or smokers are probably, you know, in that category, if they do have coronary disease, unless they've addressed those risk factors, are at the higher risk. So just phenotyping the patient, so to speak, from a risk factor standpoint. But we don't, unfortunately, have a test that can be ordered in the office that's an imaging test to look at the plaque. Intravascular ultrasound is one way that's been determined to look at that. PET imaging may become potentially a way to look at this, but unfortunately the PET imaging and MR imaging of the coronary arteries is not advanced to that point yet. Mm -hmm. The best we have, though, to look at whether there is a pro-inflammatory state are biomarkers such as uh, high-sensitivity C-reactive protein and the one we're talking about today, lipoprotein-associated phospholipase A2 or LPPLA2. Before we get to the markers, if I could ask, in terms of imaging modalities, so the ultrafast CT, it would seem to me, because we're talking about calcium, those might be better at identifying stable plaque, or is that not the case? Well, ultrafast CT scan is a useful modality to evaluate plaque burden, if you will. So calcium uh, accumulates with cholesterol in the plaque, but unfortunately, what it doesn't tell you is the ratio between the amount of calcium and the amount of cholesterol present and the inflammatory situation of the plaque. So, for example, you could have, let's say, two patients with a calcium score of 100. Mm -hmm. One patient may have just a lot of calcium for each of those plaques that you score, but another patient may have a lot of cholesterol and a lot of inflammatory cells that overwhelm that 100 score on the calcium scale. So, you don't really know, just from the ultrafast CT scan, what is happening at the plaque level and whether there's a stable or unstable plaque. It just tells you yes or no whether there is plaque present and then, of course, what level of risk compared to patients the similar age that are seen. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman. I'm discussing plaque rupture in the coronary vessels with Dr. Emil Moller III, Director of the Vascular Diagnostic Center and Director of Vascular Medicine at Penn Presbyterian Medical Center. Dr. Moller, tell us more then about the biomarkers that can give us some indication of vulnerable plaque. Sure. As I mentioned earlier, there's two main biomarkers that we are using in clinical medicine today. One is high-sensitivity C-reactive protein, and a level greater than three is thought to be very high risk. Greater than two is considered abnormal, and you really need in clinical practice to repeat that twice because of the variability that can occur in the setting of a virus or other disease states that may elevate that. The newer biomarker on the scene, which is generated, a, and there's been a fair amount of research data generated to look at this biomarker, is lipoprotein-associated phospholipase A2, or LPPLA2. It's marketed as the plaque test mm-hmm. by a company called Diadexis to evaluate that the risk of the patient as a biomarker. Is it just a marker of inflammation, or does it have a specific 
activity within the plaque? Well, it's a unique biomarker in that it's carried along with low-density lipoprotein. So what's interesting is as LDL accumulates in the plaque, phospholipase, this enzyme, can go to work and release substances such as lysopc and oxidative fatty acids that are pro-atherogenic. They're pro-inflammatory and can increase the amount of inflammation in the plaque, leading to plaque instability and therefore promoting potentially plaque rupture, hemorrhage, etc., and myocardial infarction. I noticed also in your study that you also looked at interleukin-6. Is that something that's commonly looked at? Interleukin-6 is a pro-inflammatory cytokine that is not typically looked at in clinical practice, I think because of variation lab-to-lab and non-standardization, but certainly is a marker that's been reported to be elevated in patients who have an increased inflammatory situation. And we certainly have our patients at risk on aspirin in case there is uh, rupture and thrombus formation, but might there be some other ways to get it uh, stabilizing the plaque? Well, yeah. One of the big ways, which I think is very effective, and I think the data is extremely strong, is the HMG co-reductase inhibitors, the statins. The statin drugs in multiple studies have shown to reduce heart attack and stroke rate. And it's thought that that one of the primary ways this occurs is due to plaque stability. And the reason we know that, in the early studies where we injected contrast dye in the coronary arteries with angiograms, we didn't see a big regression with statins. But within a year, we started to see reduction in heart attack and stroke rate. And then we began to understand that these statin drugs are actually stabilizing the plaque, reducing inflammation, and actually promoting plaque stability. With your article in the recent Journal of the American College of Cardiology, you looked at another molecule that might be helpful. Can you tell us about that? Yes. The study design that we used where we randomized patients to either receive a statin drug, in this case a torvastatin, as background treatment. After patients received either 20 milligrams or 80 milligrams of the torvastatin, they then were randomized to receive a novel LP-PLA2 inhibitor called Duraplidib. And with varying doses, 40, 80, and 160 milligrams, compared to placebo once daily for 12 weeks. So we looked and evaluated whether patients would have a reduction in the levels of activity of this enzyme in the bloodstream after a treatment according to the protocol. Do we know the mechanism that Terapilidib works by? Yes, it's thought to inhibit the enzyme itself. So the small molecule is thought to prevent activity, now not completely, but to reduce activity of the enzyme especially that, you know, hopefully, that amount in the plaque. We've done some previous preclinical work with animals with pig model that showed that the amount of LPPLA2 activity is reduced in the plaque itself after giving this drug. Can you tell us in this particular study how it worked and what the outcomes were? Yeah, the outcomes were interesting. First of all, we wanted to see with background treatment of atorvastatin whether we would have any further reduction of LPPLA2 activity because statin drugs themselves reduce activity of this enzyme. And we did see a significant reduction in activity, even up to the high-dose level, which was encouraging. We also looked at, of course, safety, and the drug was very well tolerated with few side effects and a few dropouts due to any, any of the side effects. Also, it had some good effects on uh, C-reactive protein and this interleukin-6. Yes, it did. In a kind of preliminary way, so to speak, we looked at these cytokines in patients that were enrolled in the study and found a significant reduction, as you point out. So we were encouraged that our hypothesis that this would reduce 
inflammatory activity was consistent with those results. Well, I want to thank Dr. Emil Moeller, who has been with us discussing the difference between stable and unstable or vulnerable plaques in the coronary arteries. He reviewed several of the characteristics of these plaques, including the biomarkers that can help to tell us if a patient has an increased risk from unstable plaque. And then he reviewed how statins and now perhaps Duraplidib, a new agent, may help to stabilize plaques and prevent the sudden heart attack that occurs without warning. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To learn more about this or any other show, please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can also register and sign up for access to our on-demand features. Thank you for listening.